Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello there. I'm Dave Berry, and, well, quite frankly, I'm fascinated by my next-door neighbour, You see, his name is Neil Srinivasan, and he's a leading cardiologist. Since I moved to this particular part of town, Neil and I have started to become good friends. Our polite greetings over the fence turned into garden barbecues and drinks down the local pub. But with unfettered access to someone with a job that is so far removed from my own, I'm desperate to find out more about his industry, one that is quite literally a matter of life and death. In this, Doctor Next Door, I'll be doing my utmost to learn all about Neil as a medical professional, but also Neil as a person, because believe it or not, even doctors have got lives outside of the operating theatre. But this podcast isn't just here to feed my own curiosities, oh no no, I want you to be involved with these conversations too. So whether you live next door to a doctor, are a doctor, or you want to use my access to a doctor to your own advantage, send your questions, thoughts and stories to doctor at nextdoorpod.com right now. Ah, hang on a second, that must be the doctor next door. Hello Neil, how are you? Hi Dave, looking forward to our cup of tea today. Well this is going to be very nice, isn't it? Um, So, guess what I did this week? Oh, tell me. I appeared on a BBC television programme named Pointless Celebrities. Oh, Yes. Really? What a fitting title oh, for no. something for me to be involved in. Yeah. <laughs> Sad times. Uh, yeah, but, well, no, it's, see, I've been on Pointless before. Okay. Everyone loves this game. Yeah. And because of the hours that I keep getting up early to do my breakfast show, it's kind of like late night TV for me yeah. when this comes on just before the news and then yeah. I'm off to bed. But I did really badly last time. I went out in the first round. Oh, no. Okay. Yeah, me and my, my friend, a, a radio DJ and presenter called Sarah Jane Crawford, we were out in the first round and it was my fault. Okay. I was asked effectively to name an obscure country and I said Finland. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, laugh it up. So anyway, I've been determined to return for some years and my opportunity arose this week to go back. And it was great to see Zander, as they call him, and Richard, of course, who's doing just brilliant things outside of the Pointless Studio with his success in the world of literature. In fact, a local bookshop has had his books in the window for some time now. Oh, fantastic. But I wanted to see, because you're testing me every week on my medical training, I wanted to get your answer to one of the questions that I faced whilst appearing on Pointless Celebrities. Any word ending in the letters E-W, any word ending with the words E-W, of course, the more obscure the word, the better chance you've got of getting through to the next round. That's really hard. Yeah. How did you do that? 
I did. That was a challenge. I did go out there. I, I don't want to divulge, but in case people haven't seen it, I don't want to give any plot spoilers here on the podcast, but I got through the first round this time with my partner and friend from The Breakfast Show, Glenn Moore. Very okay. funny man, very smart guy. Very good. So any word, any, any word, e- 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 w. W. See, there you go. Yeah. That's really hard. Yeah. Um, emu? Emu. <laughs> No, it's a U, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, that's why you're not a vet. Air crew. Yeah. Air crew actually is very good and did come up as part of the kind of, if you said air crew, well done section. I went, we had sinew, which is a good one. That's good. Uh, yeah. Going in with your medical training. Yeah. Keeping well, in, in, yeah. In, in, in... Um, well, actually, I didn't say that. That was just what, um, that's what someone else said. I said preview. Oh, good. Preview Very good. Um, anyway, uh, so obviously I don't want to give too much away, but I, I was able to bring back a certain memento from my time on Pointless, which I did try to palm off to Sarah Jane as her Valentine's gift, but she wasn't having any of it. And speaking of Valentine's, come up a little later, got a question for you linked to all matters of the heart, because, of course, you are one of the world's leading cardiologists. But now I want you to tell me this, doctor, if that's your real name, because the postman put some of your mail through my letterbox and it said to Mr. That's right. Mr. Neil Srinivasan, not doctor. This podcast is not the Mr. Next Door. That's a very different podcast. So tell me what's happening with this Dr. Mr. thing. Actually, the Mr. thing is me trying to hide that I'm a doctor to the rest of the street. But <laughs> you're right. So some people are called Mr. And traditionally in the United Kingdom, at least, Mr. refers to somebody who's a surgeon. So somebody who does open heart surgery, somebody who does open abdominal surgery, orthopedics we talked about before. And actually, to be fair, nowadays, a lot of traditionally open surgeries become more non-invasive anyway. But the the tradition comes actually from the medieval time. So physicians were sort of people who, you know, went to their next door neighbour who had a child who was unwell with a chesty cough. So they were actually educated groups of people. So they'd gone through some kind of formal education and they'd actually then, you know, done a period of study and got a doctorate. And hence they became a doctor of medicine, ah. right? So the physicians were these kind of learned people, monks, you know, those kind of people who went through a period of university study or formal study, period of, you know, six, seven, eight years, and then finished with that with some understanding of the concoction of potions, the understanding of the earth and the chemicals and, you know, all the other things that they thought about in medieval times look, relating to health. But there were, however, a need for people to deal with what happens if my foot falls off, what happens if I go to war and I get, you know, a stab wound or a gunshot wound. And the physicians never really trained and never really did anything for this. They would give you potions and things, but they would never do anything operative. And what happened was there were a group of people, surgeons, but they actually came from barbers. So barbers were the people who cut your hair, but they also had a whole load of sharp knives and other tools, and they would, you know, lance spoils, cut out things, and sometimes do things like amputations. And they would go through a period of, of an internship, and I often think this with regard to my training. The practical side of my training is no different to a lot of my friends, you know, back home when I played football, who then went off and did learned plumbing or tiling or anything, you know, 
joined a firm or worked with their dads or whatever. It's no different to that in that I attached to somebody and I spent, you know, a certain period of my time just watching them and learning from them how to do the practical side of things. And that's exactly what happened to these surgeons. And so they were, at the end, they got a diploma, not a, you know, doctorate, and so they were still called Mr. Nowadays, obviously, it's more regulated. There's a college of surgeons, there's a college of physicians, and there's an exam to sit before you can become a surgeon. And so thus, as tradition, when a surgeon has qualified, they like to refer to themselves as Mr. or Miss, and sometimes Mrs. Okay, so it means that at some point in history, somebody had a limb amputated by someone who worked in Ted Baker's grooming room. Absolutely. Shocking to think of, isn't it? Now, Neil, it is time for me to continue my journey to becoming a doctor. It is time for this week's medical training, fast becoming people's favourite section of this podcast. And one in which I fared pretty well at last week. I got two and a half thanks to your generosity, out of three. So what three questions have you got for me and everybody listening to this right now this week, Neil? So Dave, I think you've been doing really well these last few weeks and the street has been talking about how <laughs> fantastic you're, you, you've been doing in terms of your medical school results. I'm sure everybody's very proud. Um, I've got a series of good questions for you today. And our first question is xanthophobia, X-A-N-T-H-O-P-H-O-B-I-A, xanthophobia, is a fear of what? Is that A, flowers, B, bananas, or C, the colour yellow? I'm going back to the old way of doing this, right? I can. I know it's definitely not one of the three, so yeah. I, I just have a guess at the other and two. The others, exactly. <laughs> you trained me so well, Neil. Exactly. <laughs> now, set two. So, 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 second set of questions. A nephrologist. A nephrologist is a doctor who specialises in the treatment and diagnosis of diseases affecting which organ of the body? Is it A, the brain, B, the kidney, or C, the lungs? Okay. So, Dave, question three is a little bit different to what we've had before. Okay. I've brought a box of tricks home from work, Ooh. as you can see. <laughs> and I'd like you to tell me what this is and what I might use it for. Okay. Wow. You are mixing it up. Uh, we will post a picture of the thing that the doctor's just handed me on our socials because I know you love playing along where you are at Doc Next Door Pod. See, when you first arrived at the house, I thought that was your lunch. That's a lunchbox, it? does isn't come it? in a lunchbox, right? Yeah. I mean, it's got the Transformers lunchbox. on it, Neil. Grow up. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so there's a few objects in there, but this is the one I need to identify. Okay, I'm going to give you a bit of time to go and look at this picture for yourselves. I, well, I'm going to write down what it's not, which is a Tamagotchi. <laughs> Um, okay, so they are the three questions for my medical training this week. We're going to find out the answers after this, which is a snippet of a podcast the producers of this one think you might enjoy. 
Ever yearned for the perfect pub to reveal itself from some unexpected alley? Well, The Moon Underwater is the podcast for you. Join me, John Robbins, and the lovely Robin Allender Hi. as we help a special guest create their dream pub. From the drinks behind the bar to the music on the jukebox, The Moon Underwater is whatever you want it to be. So, if you would like to join us in Desire's beating heart, search The Moon Underwater. Or maybe The Moon Underwater will search for you. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com/switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hello and welcome back to Doctor Next Door. Before that little break, Dr. Neil asked me three questions from the world of medicine and it is now time to reveal the answers. This has been up there with the trickiest set I've had thus far on the podcast. So I'm intrigued to find out how I did. So remind us of the first question, please, Neil. So our first question was xanthophobia. Xanthophobia. What is that a fear of? Is it A, flowers, B, bananas, or C, the colour yellow? Right. I'm almost certain it's not bananas, but only because I've met people who have got a genuine fear of bananas and the first thing you think is like, oh, I might hide a banana in my pocket. And they always go, you've not hidden a banana in your pocket, have you, Dave? Because uh, it wouldn't be very funny if you have. I've got a genuine fear of bananas. But it wasn't the word you just said. So it becomes down between A and C for me. And I'm just going to go with C, yellow. Very good, Dave. I'll give you half a mark for that. Okay. It's a trick question this week. I'm being very, very, very challenging okay. to you. So xanthophobia is a fear of the colour yellow. Absolutely yes. right. But people with xanthophobia are usually afraid of any object that is yellow, such as bananas or flowers. 
and they may want to avoid this colour at all costs. So if they had xanthophobia and it was flowers or bananas, they were yellow, they would want to, 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 to avoid that. And it can really interfere with their everyday life as anything yellow can be found around them and they're really frightened of it. Wow, I mean, obviously that's an awful affliction to have in life, but also I'm definitely taking a full point for that. I'm <laughs> I knew so, you were going to so say sorry. that. I'm 100% taking you, a full I suppose point you were for that. And you have a full point on. out there as well if you, got, if you went for C. Okay, what was the next question? Our next question was, <laughs> what is a nephrologist? It's a doctor who specialises in the treatment and diagnosis of which organ of the body? Is it the brain, the kidneys or the lungs? Um, we've done uh, lungs before on the podcast. In fact, we got quite into the lungs last week when we were talking about smoking and ways in which people can quit. And that word, I don't think, came up. Obviously, brain is neuro something or other. So I'm going to go for B. Okay, B, kidneys. Very good. That's a, that's a point. Yes. A nephrologist is a kidney doctor. Excellent. You're doing really well. Thank you very much. Okay. And last but not least, our special box of tricks today. Yes. And I showed you this and I said, what is it? And what might I use it for? Once again, there is a picture of this device from Neil's place of work on our socials at DocNextDoorPod. Um, I, I, I'm going to just guess purely because of what you do and say it's a pacemaker. Wow, David. You're almost a cardiologist now, I think, or almost a surgeon. Is it really? You're doing really well. That is a that is a pacemaker. It's a really small pacemaker, as you can see. So this is what this is a this is is this the smallest pacemaker you can get? One of the smallest pacemakers you can get. So what you've got in your hand there is a the metal bit is what I call the can. The can contains a battery and some really clever circuitry. And if you see on if you hold it up, you've got that white bit on the top. Yeah. The two leads of the pacemaker plug into oh, there. You see I those see. two holes. Two holes, yeah. And I tunnel the two leads under the collarbone into a big vein and the leads touch the heart. So the leads are listening to the heart and the can, the metal bit, is kind of un- understanding what the heartbeat is. And if your heartbeat is going slowly, for instance, the pacemaker is able to then regularise your heart rate so you don't fall over, you don't feel unwell or tired or breathless. And um, then, by the way, Neil, I just wanted to point out to uh, those of you who aren't on social media that it is about, it's a bit bigger than a two pound coin, I would yeah. say, just to give you an idea, and a little bit thicker than that. That goes to show you how amazing technology, you know, has progressed. The first pacemaker was implanted in Sweden, in Karolinska, in 1958. And the patient, Arna Larsson, lived longer than his surgeons. He lived to 2001. And that wow. pacemaker, you know, only lasted about uh, three hours, the first one. The battery ran out. And then they had to replace it. And he had about 26 different pacemaker batteries implanted in his whole lifetime, but passed away in 2001. And the invention of the pacemaker, as I've talked to you before, is, you know, a complete fluke, a, a bit like lots of things that happen in medicine. And there was a, a, a great engineer in the 50s working in Cornell University in the United States called Wilson Greatbatch. And he was actually trying to work out resistors and circuits. And he put the wrong type of thing into the circuits called an oscillator. He put the wrong thing and generated the wrong electrical pulse. So he's frustrated. He's sitting there having lunch and two surgeons walk up by him and start talking about this condition called heart block, where your heart goes really slow. And he thought, the thing that I've just invented, which is completely wrong, is perfect to make a pacemaker. And that's how we go around and develop a pacemaker. And obviously in the box of tricks I bought you here are some of the more fancy pacemakers. So this one's much larger than the other pacemaker I show you do. That's a defibrillator pacemaker. So that has the ability to shock your heart should you have a lethal heart rhythm, for instance. 
And um, this one here, which is even bigger, is a sort of same thing. It's a defibrillator, but that one is worn uh, outside the surface of the body. So it's just tunneled subcutaneously under the fat tissue of your chest wall to do that. And to show you the sort of pr progress we've made, if you imagine, you know, 1958, it's only lasted a couple of hours, to this thing here, which is now the modern wow. sort of pacemaker, a leadless pacemaker. You just implant this from the leg, there are no leads, and this thing stays inside your heart and beats inside your heart all the time using that electrical circuitry. It's kind of like the size, I suppose, of, uh, you know, a, a tablet that you take if you had a hangover. Yeah. or a, half the size of a AAA battery or something like that. Right? That's a much more, that's a better way of gauging <laughs> the size of... You can tell I've told the I'm patient sizes. When you actually pulled them out, I was going to go, this one's about the size of a makeup compact. <laughs> and I was just then going to say, lazy, this one's about four times the size of the first one, which was about the size of a two-pound coin. I'm not, I'm not helping people judging these. So the size, the size difference is incredible. Yeah. This small one is... Is replacing this thing. How will that? How will you get that into the human body? So you, you pass the a small one. I mean, you pass a tube from the leg all the way up to the heart, and then you just push it into the heart fundamentally, and it, it ends up sticking onto it using just a little bit of twisting of hands. And are the are, are the things on the top of it? Are they hooks? Those are called tines. Yeah, yeah, and they hook on. So inside, almost all pacemakers go on to the, what's called the right-hand side of the heart. And that's... The, <laughs> How lovely producer Ben's not having a good time. Is he feeling crazy? Yeah. Oh, dear. Yeah. <laughs> He's he definitely might, not he for medical school. He might be called school. into action, Exactly. <laughs> but, um, but the tines, the, the right side of the heart has, is very what we call trabeculated. So it's a bit like, you know, if I hold up my hand and the fingers are like that, it's got loads of these sort of fingery projections inside it. So the tines will just hook onto those and that's how it sticks off. So, I mean, we've talked about, you know, how you go about getting the, the smaller one. Uh, of the four that you bought in your Transformers lunchbox into the human body. But what about the large one here? As I say, about the size of a makeup compact from the 1950s. So uh, the large <laughs> one is a, is a type of defibrillator. So it, it has the ability to shock the heart. Actually, it's so large because most of the equipment is put outside the body or outside of the inside chest cavity. And so that has a lot of benefits in terms of not putting things in dwelling inside the heart. So what it is is that under your armpit fundamentally you will make a little pocket or space where this will sit and then I would tunnel some very fine wires under your above your ribs so under your skin but above your ribs in a sort of L shape across your chest wall and then therefore this defibrillator is covering your front chest wall and the side of where your heart would sit so if you have a lethal heart rhythm it's a bit like having you know an ambulance glue come and put some defibrillator pads on your chest but now it's just tunneled inside your body and it will just shock across your heart the other one i showed you which you said was a you know three or four times bigger than the standard pacemaker the implantation of those two are very similar so most of these are done with the patient awake they take about an hour maybe two at most. They're very quick with a bit of local anaesthetic. A small little incision under the collarbone. I make a little pocket again, just a bit like your shirt pocket, but under the skin where these devices will sit. And then you just tunnel very fine, two very fine, two or three very fine leads, and they touch the heart. So the leads are there to listen to the heart, and the, they are touching these you know, clever circuitry, which is basically a mini computer plus a battery. And that understands what your heart's doing, has a series of timers and then regularises your heartbeat or shocks your heart should you need to. I love that you made it sound like, you know, just popping out to prep to get a tuna baguette or something, Doctor. Um, all jokes aside, you say that, you know, you might not even have to put the patient to sleep and it will take about an hour. And obviously you're a leading expert, all of this. 
But once that's done, this is an absolute game changer and a life changer for people, isn't it? It's, yeah. This it, will, is, it, it, will, it will prolong their life. It will improve their life. Yeah. Therefore, that will make their families and friends happier. And it's, Absolutely. it's, a, it's, a, it's a huge hour yeah. out of somebody's day. Yeah. This, this is life-saving stuff. So often these patients, particularly for pacemakers, come with dreadfully slow heart rates. They might have fallen, hit their head, but they also might have a very low blood pressure or not be perfusing their body very well because their heart rate is so slow. Their electrical system of their heart has failed. So you'll remember, you know, I think you were very kindly had me around for my birthday once and I was very worried about, I was being on call. So obviously you just got me some food and things. I said, I can't drink, I'm on call. But um, I had to put my phone in the corner of your house because we're obviously stuck in this mobile black zone. And, and I texted you the next morning and said, you know, good thing, you know, I kept the phone on, et cetera, et cetera, because just maybe two or three hours after that, I got called in. Um, and, and that was exactly it. I drive in, do an emergency one of these. The patient goes home the next day. But it's life-saving because fundamentally that patient has an unstable heart rate, which is trying to stop beating. And you're then regularizing that. And you can see the patient become, you know, in front of your eyes. It's very rewarding. Pink in front of your eyes, sat up, cup of tea type stuff. And like, doctor, when can I go home? That kind of thing. Um, you will never really know the pressure of what it's like to have to cook for a doctor who does what Neil does for a living. And, you know, what if my roast chicken and gravy had poisoned the good doctor? <laughs> I mean, think about the... Sh Every time Sarah Jane says, oh, Neil's coming over for dinner, I'm like, you're cooking. I'm not cooking this time. I can't, I can't handle the stress and the strain of it. But yet I do cook. And yet when I walk down the street, no one comes to the door and claps me today. <laughs> Right, Neil, in each episode of the podcast, as regular subscribers will now be fully aware, I am going to ask you a big burning question from the world of medicine or maybe about some medical myths. And today, as we celebrated Valentine's Day this week, for those of you who do, of course, I thought it appropriate that we tackle something I'm sure will be on the minds of just some of the people listening to this right now. And my question is, is sex good for our hearts? So great question, Dave. And there is actually some research relating to this. So if you think about sex, it's fundamentally a form of exercise. You're breathing fast, you're moving your body. You're wearing trainers. <laughs> what? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Telling me too much now, Dave. Um, and so it does have a lot of benefits for your heart. It burns calories, about 100 calories. Um, it lowers your blood pressure. It increases your heart health, it makes your heart rate go up, it's strengthening your muscles, which is good cardiovascular exercise. And it's been shown to reduce your risk of heart disease, your risk of stroke, your risk of high blood pressure, as well as having these other whole body benefits. So there's the psychological and social benefits. There are a whole load of endorphins secreted, as you know, from sex, and you feel you know, very positive about that, and the sort of bonding between two people that kind of link and the effects of that on the brain. It has some effects on the immune system as a result of that. It's thought that, you know, romantic relationships uh, improve our ability to be, you know, fight illness because those positive hormones then seem to help in terms of promoting our immune system. And also improves your sleep. So your body releases oxytocin, um, also called the love or intimacy hormone. I was going to uh, ask you, so is there really a love chemical? Is absolutely, there a, oh. yeah. So and there is this name again? oxytocin. Oh, right. And so secreted in response to love or intimacy. And the endorphins related to that and orgasm um, can act as a sedative. So they make you sleepy afterwards. 
Yeah. So, so you know, you, you can't always blame yourself for, you know, falling asleep straight after. Yeah, okay. <laughs> it's very, just so you all know, it's a very difficult uh, conversation for Neil and I to have, but we're having it on your behalf. <laughs> so, uh, Neil, where does the desire to have sex come from? Obviously, it's, it's been around as long as Homo sapiens have. It's all about reproducing. I mean, it's obviously has different benefits now in many different ways for many different people. But but where does that desire for sex come from? So I think it's purely an animalistic thing, isn't it? It's a desire to want to reproduce. Can we break the eye contact with this bit, please, Doctor? It's just, it's, <laughs> you're looking over the specs it's, at me. I'm it's finding a desire it, yeah, to want to reproduce. Uh, no, carry on. Please. No, absolutely. So so I mean, I, I think there is a evolutionary need for that, and as with a lot of things in evolution. If the species needs to reproduce, then there has to be some kind of reason to want to do that. A bit like, you know, there's a reward to eating. You feel, you know, happy when you're eating food and that's good for your body because it gives you energy. So in the same way, I suppose that we've evolved to get this great joy out of, you know, romantic relationships in general. And that is important in terms of keeping, you know, the species going. That's an evolutionary concept. And in the same way, I suppose, that if you think about it, there's that uh, we talked before about when you hold your baby for the first time, or you, you become a dad, and that sort of whole out-of-body kind of experience. And if you think about it from an evolutionary perspective, it's probably to keep us linked to that baby, to provide for that baby, to provide for our partner, whoever that be, and to stay with them and to then give you know the, that, a family a loving home and to protect that group. So, Neil, in conclusion, the answer to my question, is sex good for our hearts, is not only yes, but also it's good for lots of other parts of us as well. Well, yes, you're absolutely right, Dave. Safe sex is obviously important. Yes, but, of course. Yeah. But all love, intimacy and all the hormones, endorphins and everything that's created from that are clearly very good for your heart good for your body, good for your blood pressure, improves your lifespan, your immune system, and also your health and well-being. Um, it is time to go through some correspondence. This week, I've selected a question from somebody called Simone, who wants you to pick up on something that we discussed on the last episode of the podcast, which is... Being squeamish, Simone's interested to know whether there is graphic content in the operating theatres regularly and whether seeing said graphic content can even a man of your experience put you off having your lunch. Uh, thank you very much, Steve, for your question, Simone. I suppose, basically, do you ever get used to it, Neil? So I think you make a, a, a great question there, Simone. So... One of the things I think I mentioned before is that when I, sometimes when I come home, I don't talk much about my work or anything. And one of the reasons for that is my wife is incredibly squeamish. And I suppose that I have become slightly immune to what I do because I don't think of it very much. And the occasional times that I do talk about stuff, I forget that, you know, the general public or my wife or whatever, they are actually thinking, right, that's horrific. I never have to experience that. And you do day in, day out. Yeah, I mean, in case people haven't listened to the last episode of the podcast, and sorry to interject, but we were talking about horror movie style comparisons of hit the wrong thing mm -hmm. and it's going to be squirting up to the ceiling. Yeah, and I, and I said, obviously, I've seen uh, experiences like that where patients are unwell or something and they've had to have an open chest and you see you know, blood spurting everywhere or you see blood hitting the ceiling. 
One of the things I would say oh, is sorry. that... I could just I can hear producer Ben handing in his notice. Oh, yeah. That's twice we've made <laughs> him squeamish t- in one. It's been a tough yeah. one for Ben. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, maybe maybe not produce a medical podcast. Yeah, f- f- first of all, that sex chat and now this. Oh, Ben, bless you. Uh, sorry, Neil, carry on. But uh, no, it can. It, I mean, blood pressure can be very high in these closed cavities and then you open things and it really does fly and squirt everywhere. Even when I'm doing operations via the leg, I sometimes have to use the artery in, in the leg to... To access the heart and it'll squirt everywhere it'll fly you know across down the patient's leg that sort of thing on the floor that kind of thing it's not uncommon one thing I would say is I think that part of medical practice is that we kind of self-select ourselves so there's a broad church I suppose of people who do all sorts of different things within medicine as we've talked about we touched briefly about you know orthopedics and things and to me something like sawing a bone would make me feel quite squeamish. Or particularly the thing that makes me feel very squeamish is when you see patients who are really unwell. I used to do uh, a firm, so a, a placement used to be called a firm in the old days. And so I did a firm of gastroenterology, tummy medicine. And you would get lots of diarrhea, you would get lots of vomiting, and sometimes vomiting blood. And I found Welcome I, to the Valentine's Day special of <laughs> Doctor Next Door. Exactly. And I found I couldn't cope with that. That okay. wasn't for me. That, you're squeamish about that. Okay. I'm very squeamish yeah. about that. And I can't, can't cope, especially, you know, lots of diarrhea. I cannot cope. Whereas blood, I sort of go into the zone and go, oh, there's loads of blood. Let's just go to it and try and do something about it. So I suppose, suppose everybody self-selects. And Ben, you know, if you wanted to join into medical <laughs> training, certainly there's a role for you away from, you know, blood squirting and hitting the ceiling. Thank you once again to Simone for her question. Of course, you can get in touch anytime you like. Our email address is doctor at nextdoorpod.com. And that's it for this episode of Doctor Next Door. Thank you, as always, to my neighbour and co-host, Dr Neil Srinivasan. Uh, next time, Dr Neil and I will be doing this all over again. We're not sure if producer Ben's going to turn up, but we have our fingers crossed. Please do rate, review and subscribe from wherever you usually get your podcasts. And now, please, get out of my house. 